Before I get started, I want to make a, an announcement. <laughs> and they're all gone. Oh, well. Youth group starts back up on the 18th. Okay, we'll be meeting at Tanya and Cherokee's house, which is Wednesday. Okay, we'll meet at Tanya and Cherokee's house, and we're going to start at, was it 6.30 or 7? 7. It was 7. Okay. We're going to start at 7 o'clock, and we promise we will be done by 8.30. So in about an hour and a half is, is all. But we got a whole bunch of new things planned for you guys. And, and so show up Wednesday night, Tanya and Cherokee's house, 7 o'clock, and bring some friends. Ah, are you having a good morning? I am. Boy, worship was awesome. There's a story of a, a, a city slicker who was visiting some relatives on the farm, and, and the farmer himself gave this whistle. And when he did, his dog herded the cattle into the corral, and then he latched the gate with his paw. Wow, that's some dog. What's her name, said the boy. The forgetful farmer thought a minute, then asked, well, what do you call that flower that smells good and has thorns on the stem? The boy responded, well, well that's a rose. Oh, yeah, said the farmer as he turned to his wife and said, hey, Rose, what's the dog's name? <laughs> there are times when as humans, we can be pretty forgetful, huh? I don't know what your most embarrassing moment over forgetfulness might be, but I think this one might be a little bit hard to beat, especially considering the person involved is considered by most people to be one of the most brilliant people who ever lived. Albert Einstein, when he moved from his home to Princeton University to join the Institute for Advanced Study, he had a whole new environment to deal with. One day the telephone rang in the office of the dean of the Princeton Graduate School, and there was a voice on the other end that inquired, may I speak with Dr. Einstein, please? The caller was advised that Dr. Einstein wasn't in at the moment. The caller continued, well, perhaps then you could tell me where Dr. Einstein lives. The secretary replied she couldn't do that because Dr. Einstein's privacy must be respected. That's when the caller said, please don't tell anyone, but I am Dr. Einstein. I'm on my way home, but I don't seem to remember where my house is. Forgetfulness is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter how brilliant you might be. We all forget. It's actually something that every one of us suffers from, from some degree, somehow, some way. In fact, Hollywood's kind of capitalized on it recently. There's a, a new crime dra drama series out called Unforgettable, starring Poppy Montgomery. And it's all about a detective who literally can't forget. I mean, she, she remembers everything. I think that would actually be more of a curse than a boon. But even Hollywood recognizes the fact that, you know, our memories are fragile things, and it's something that we, we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, trying to remember things. Yeah, amen. That's, that's me. That's why I have my wife, because she remembers way more than I do. <laughs> I think, you know, in some ways, that's kind of what David had in mind with the passage that we're going to look at this morning. By the way, we, we're looking at the passage through the idea of the promise of love contained in the language of gifts, the love language of gifts. It doesn't have so much to do with forgetfulness, but I'm going to tie that back in because it's part of the, the passage when we get to the end. This is what the passage says out of Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. 
Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read out of the NIV. It says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. You see where forgetting comes in? Forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion? Who satisfies your desires with good things? so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. What I want to talk about this morning is the language of gifts when it comes to love. This is the fourth of five love languages that God speaks literally to each and every person on the planet. The love language of gifts really is pretty simple. I want to read you a definition of it from Danny Silk's book, Keep Your Love On. By the way, if you don't have this book, I recommend it highly. Um, It's all about relationships and how they work or don't work, okay, and how to fix them. And I think it's it's one of these gifts to the church that needs to be uh, read by literally everybody in the church. This is how he describes the love language of gifts, okay? A gifts person is constantly soaking up evidence that the people in their life know them and think about them even when they're not around. This evidence lies in the physical token of love. The gifts person hears, feels, and experiences love through the offering of a gift that says, I know you. I've been paying attention to you. I have become a student of you, and this gift is a demonstration that I get you. I understand you. I like that. That is a cool definition when you stop and think about it. He goes on to say, if you're in a relationship with a gifts person, they will probably speak in the language of gifts to you. They will bring you gifts on a regular basis, particularly if there's a special moment to commemorate in the relationship. Anniversaries, birthdays, holidays, and just about any other occasion provide them with endless reasons for gifts. You can bet that they have paid attention to what you like to do, what you like to eat, what you collect, and where you've been in the world. Their gifts to you will symbolize this attention to the details of your life, and they will expect you to reciprocate in kind. Though they may never ask the question directly, a gifts person is wondering, now where's the gift for me? The good news is that the gift says far more than any price tag. Whoever coined the phrase, it's the thought that counts, was definitely a gifts person. The thought behind the gift is valued far more than the cost of the gift because that's what makes the gift a symbol of love and devotion. Whatever that thought is, it is answering the driving question of the gift person's heart. Do you know me? Am I on your mind? A lot of problems ensue when you forget to bring a gift for a special occasion or you give them something that doesn't have much thought behind it. It sends the message, No, I'm not thinking about you, and no, I don't pay attention to you. That is not the message you want to send to a gifts person. Do the work required to find a gift that says, you are on my mind, I thought you'd like this. I've heard a lot of definitions of that particular gift. That is by far and away the most accurate and best one that I have ever heard. Do you relate to that definition? Does that say anything to you? Do you warm up to that one? I like the way Danny defines this because he looks behind the gift at what it actually communicates. The driving question of the gift's person's heart, do you know me? And am I on your mind? It's not the gift. 
It's what behind, what's behind that gift that speaks the language of love. It's about one word, intimacy. Do you know me? Into me you see intimacy. Do you know me? That's what speaks the language of love. It's the Hebrew word yada. We've talked about that before. It's an intimate connection with another person that's translated in our English as know. That's what yada means, to know. Adam yadded Eve, basically, okay? Adam knew Eve. It's an intimate connection with another person. And I think God speaks the language of knowing very well. In fact, theologians have given God the attribute of all-knowing, or what we call omniscient. God is complete in his knowing of us. Luke described God's intimate knowing of us pretty well. In Luke 12, 7, he says, Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, some of you are looking at your head going, well, there's not a lot to count, so that's not so hard, okay? No, he knows even the ones you can't see. Now, I know my wife pretty well. After 33 years plus a year and a half of dating before we got married, I know my wife pretty well. But I've never attempted to count the hairs on her head much less number them. All of that tells me that God knows us perfectly. So God speaking the language of gifts and knowing us intimately, it stands to reason that his gifts to us would be perfect. Hence, James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. God's good gifts are designed to meet our deepest needs. Let's stop and pray, and then we're going to take a look at the gifts that are listed in this passage, because there are a lot of them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you, because you are the giver of all good gifts, and they are perfect, in that these are the, the very things we need to complete us, to make us like Jesus, to bring us into intimacy with you. And so we thank you for your gifts, Father. Help us to see them because, Father, I think that's where, that's where we miss sometimes and, and our intimacy can wane because we get distracted by all the other things that the world throws in our direction. And we don't see and we don't remember. We have a tendency to forget, like David said. We have a tendency to forget and we shouldn't because these are the things that draw us to you. So, Father, I'd ask that you speak to us. Holy Spirit, lean on us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take another look at the passage that I have for this morning. The Psalm 103. It says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, in reading that, I counted at least seven gifts mentioned by David that we're not supposed to forget. The first one is the forgiveness of sins. Perhaps the deepest need of every human heart is the need to be forgiven. Understand, God didn't have to forgive you. He didn't have to forgive me. He had every right to condemn us for our sin. We failed God. Just as Adam failed in the garden, 
and Eve failed in the garden, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We sinned and we caused that separation from him. He didn't abandon us. We walked away from him. In spite of that, he chose to love and forgive. I think Paul described it very well in Romans 5.15. He says, yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. Now, in this passage, Paul is talking about sin versus grace, okay? The law versus forgiveness. And what our understanding of that's supposed to be. And he likens that unto the difference between Adam, who led us into sin, and Christ, who leads us out of sin. So let me try that again, because I know sometimes jumping into the middle of a passage can be confusing. Yet the rescuing gift, the rescuing gift here is Jesus. The rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin, which would be Adam. If one man's sin, Adam, put the crowds of people at the dead-end abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift, Jesus, poured through one man will do. There's no comparison between that death-dealing sin and this generous, life-giving gift. The verdict on the one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes, sovereign life in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life-giving, this grand setting everything right that the one man Jesus Christ provides. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us into all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting out of trouble, he got us in to life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong one man said yes to God and put many in the right. Now, that was the message translation of that particular passage. So if you're trying to follow along in NIV, you probably got confused. But I think it says it really well, especially when he kind of wraps it up. One man's sin got us in a whole heap of trouble. But Jesus' perfection brought us out of that and didn't just forgive us, but gave us life as well. That is an incredible gift, a gift that everyone needs and everyone has the opportunity to grasp. God wishes that all would be saved, that none would perish. So he's made it available to everybody on the planet. That's how the heart of God works. That's how his gifts work. That's why it works as a love language for God, the giving of gifts, because the gift in this case literally is the Son. The second gift that I see in this passage is the healing of diseases, specifically disease, physical things, okay? Pretty significant when you think about it. Here's the God of the Old Testament, because this is an Old Testament passage. Here's the God of the Old Testament declaring that he is the source of physical healing. Not emotional, not spiritual, not psychological, but physical healing. This is kind of important to grasp. The Hebrew word here is Rapha, which is the root of one of the names of God, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Healing is a constant need 
for mankind. Constantly. We've been dealing with that for a couple of weeks now in our home since the uh, rear-ender accident that totaled our car. Uh, we've been dealing with the issues of healing. In fact, last night while I was doing my sermon, Janet was off getting a massage to, to alleviate some of the pain from the whiplash she's going through right now. We are always constantly in need of healing. These bodies we inhabit are amazing, but they're also fallen and subject to decay. Our medical profession here in America, really, if you've traveled at all, it is one of the best, if not the best, on the planet. And yet, there's still so much that we cannot do, even with all of our technology, all of our science. The ultimate healer is still God, and his healing touch is nothing short of being a gift to us. Can I explain why some get healed and others don't? No, I can't. But that doesn't mean that God is not the giver of good gifts of healing. I've seen enough people healed to know that it's true. He does heal. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Ultimately, God is the one who heals. He's the one that created us, and he gave us the ability to heal in the first place. I can't help but think that if Adam hadn't made the choice that Adam made, we would still all exist in the Garden of Eden, and there wouldn't be any pain, there wouldn't be any sickness, because that's what's promised in the new heavens and new earth through Revelation, that we won't experience those things anymore. Why? Because our bodies won't be subject to the same fallen nature and decay. My body, I don't know about you, my body's getting, it takes a lot longer for me to heal. I'm 55, pushing 56, and is that young or old? I don't know. But I tell you what, I know this, I don't heal as fast as I did when I was 20. It just it doesn't happen the same way. We are subject to this decay that Romans talks about. But God gives great gifts, and it doesn't matter how old you are or what condition you're in. God's still a heal, healing God. And maybe that hasn't happened yet for you. But maybe it's also on the way. It just hasn't happened yet. The third one I see here is redemption. Redemption from the pit. I, I kind of like this analogy that he uses. Redemption and salvation, they, they kind of sound like they're the same thing because God redeems my soul and then I'm saved, right? Well, that, that makes sense. But redemption from the pit is not quite the same thing as salvation. Salvation comes through forgiveness, but redemption is something that, that goes a different direction. The word pit here is mishachat, which is really a strange word. It means actually destruction or corruption. We are saved or redeemed from destruction and corruption. I've been saved basically from my own self-destructive behaviors. I've been saved from the world's corruption that takes my soul to the pit. Does that make sense? It's not just that you get saved and you get heaven. You get redemption for the life you live right now. That is pretty much the difference. This is God's gift to me right now, this new life, this abundant life, a life of purpose and meaning. I no longer serve destruction or corruption. I've been redeemed. I've been purchased anew. I was always a possession of God's because he created me in the first place. 
But I got lost along the way. And then I got redeemed by God. I got repurchased by God and brought out from the pit so that I wouldn't serve destruction or corruption, but I would rather serve a life-giving, life-promoting God. The fourth gift he talks about here is love. Now abide faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. You've heard that from 1 Corinthians. Some of you had it in your wedding ceremonies. I know because I did your wedding ceremony. Listen, God loves. He is love. God loves, period, point blank, nothing less than that, okay? But even in that, love is also a gift that God gives. Think about this. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You might be thinking, well, I know that God loves me and that his love is, in fact, a precious gift, but I'm not sure how to wrap my mind around that all of the time, Scott. It just, it seems to evade me. I I don't always feel loved. Anybody have that reaction? I don't always feel loved. It's like I can't feel his presence or his his touch. And and when I'm in that place... I'm not really feeling loved. There is a danger to a gift that seems to be so subjective, relies on feelings. Can you measure love? Maybe, maybe. There's a song written by Mark Hall and Bernie Herms. It's called East to West. And I want you to listen to the words of the second verse and chorus because this is what speaks love to me, and maybe it'll speak love to you and remind you in those moments when you're just wondering, where on earth is the love? Heavenly Father, I'm not feeling it right now. I'm not sensing it. It doesn't seem to be there. Think about this. This is what the, the words of this song say. I know you've cast my sin as far as from the east is from the west, and I stand before you now as though I'd never sinned. But today I feel like I'm just one mistake away from you leaving me this way. Jesus, can you show me just how far the east is from the west? Talk about measuring love. Because I can't bear to see the man I've been come rising up in me again. In the arms of your mercy, I find rest because you know just how far the east is from the west, from one scarred hand to the other. Can you measure love? The distance from one scarred hand to the other? It's a pretty good measuring stick. When you find yourself in that place where you're not, you're not necessarily feeling that particular gift, you're not necessarily sensing that particular gift, conjure up in your, in your mind, in your thinking, the distance from here to here. And maybe that'll come rushing back. I think it will. I don't know, it works for me. I hope it works for you. If love can be measured, if love can be quantified, that may be the best explanation that we have, one scarred hand to the other. The fifth one I see here is compassion. The gift of compassion. Incredibly practical gift. Incredibly practical gift. I like that part of it. Compassion literally is the feet and the hands of sympathy. Sympathy feels, compassion moves. 
There's a big difference between the two. I can feel sympathy for someone and not be moved to do anything at all, but compassion compels me. Compassion moves me. Psalm 116 says, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Mark 1.40 says this about Jesus and how he was moved by compassion. This is why I know that compassion is an active thing, not just a feeling thing. In Mark 1, verse 40, a man with leprosy came to Jesus and he begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. This is what 41 says. And filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. You see, that's the basic difference between feeling sorry for someone, having pity or sympathy for someone, and having compassion on them. Compassion moves. Compassion acts. Compassion does. And that is a gift from God. He doesn't just feel sorry for our fallen state. He did something about it in sending Jesus to redeem us. And he does something about it each and every time we turn to him. When we find ourselves walking away, falling away, backsliding, whatever you want to call it, when we find ourselves not connected with God the way we should be, we always have the opportunity to come back and we always have a compassionate God willing and waiting for us to reconnect to him. And he will go whatever distance it takes to get us there. The sixth one I see here is the word satisfaction. It's kind of a strange gift if you think about it, but it, satis- I can't get no satisfaction. Remember that song? Okay, this is the opposite, okay? This is God saying, I have satisfaction for you. I like the idea of satisfaction. To be satisfied is to have all your needs met, right? To have your needs met is to be satisfied. What else would it mean? Psalm 63.5 says, My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of food. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Whether your needs are physical, emotional, or spiritual, the gift of God's satisfaction is the gift of fulfilling needs, meeting needs. Psalm 34 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. I like that part. Those who honor God, who fear God, lack nothing. Lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. That is a picture of satisfaction, folks. Satisfaction means to have our needs met. This is really kind of an important concept for us because as we work through the process of sozo, Sozo is all about needs, okay? There's a whole father ladder in Sozo that describes what all your needs are, all your basic needs of humanity kind of thing. But the basic idea between that is, you know, you spent your whole life over here getting all these needs met by the people that are around you, and that's, that's good. It doesn't work very well all the time because not everybody can do that, and sometimes the way we get our needs met aren't very healthy, okay? And so you get lies and you get wounds, But the good news is this, God is the need meter. He's the satisfier. He's the one that gives satisfaction, meets your needs. And if you can turn your needs from the people around you to God, God will meet your needs. And then when those people meet needs for you, it's just icing on the cake. It's just better stuff, okay? Because the cake's already baked over here because you got your needs met 
Your basic needs were met in Christ. That is the idea. Come, taste, and see that the Lord is good. It's about him meeting our needs. Blessed is the man who takes his refuge in God. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. That is satisfaction. The last one is renewal. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31 is one of my favorite passages. He gives strength to the weary and increases power to the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. This is the same idea that's written in the psalm we have for today. He who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. To say that God is a giver of great gifts, folks, is perhaps an understatement of epic proportions. But let's be real and let's be honest this morning. Are there times when you consider where all these amazing gifts are because you're not feeling them? You're not seeing them? You're not walking in them? If you're walking in them, you're amazing. I want to know who you are, okay? Because I, I like everybody else. You know, there are times when this doesn't ring true for me. I might say, you know, Lord, I'm not questioning my salvation. I, I, I don't go there. I don't question my salvation. But why am I not always healed? Why do the people I pray for not always healed? I don't always feel renewed. Sometimes I'm just flat worn out. Lord, my needs don't seem to be getting your attention. I feel like I'm living in lack instead of abundance. Any of those thoughts ever cross your mind? If they do, then you're in really, really, really good company because the writer of this psalm expresses that idea a lot in most of his psalms, in fact. David was often asking the question of God, God, what is going on? Why do my enemies seem to prosper? Why is it, Lord, that I'm running for my life? Why do I find myself in this pit? David expressed those same ideas a lot. So if, if you feel like that sometimes, don't worry about that. You're in good company because David was a man after God's own heart. But the great thing about David is that David listened to God. He opened the lines of communication, and sometimes they weren't pretty. If you read through the Psalms, sometimes his lines of communication really aren't pretty at all. Sometimes they don't seem like they're very honoring to God. He's just being real. He's being honest. We need to be the same with God. God doesn't expect us to try to pull the wool over his eyes because he sees right through anyway. He knows you perfectly, every little hair on your head. So you're not going to fool him. Just be honest with him. What David did so well in his honesty was listen. And you can read psalm after psalm after psalm of David where it'll start out terrible. He's in the pit. He's having a bad day. 
or he's having a bad life, period, okay? But by the end of the psalm, everything's turned around. Why? Because somewhere in there, David listened. And so when he sat down to pen the song, he was penning something that happened in the past, okay, this horrible thing, and how God brought him out of that terrible pit, out of that terrible situation. David did that because David listened. And I think because he listened, he gave us some clues for when we're feeling like that too. And they come from our passage. That's, I want to kind of rewrap all the way to the beginning where I started with this thing called forgetfulness. Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Perhaps the most important thing to remember out of this this morning is not whether you're a gifts person or not. If that's your language, it's great. I, I, that's one of my languages, and I, I, I relate to that totally. But what you need to remember is when you're not feeling those gifts, when you're not seeing those gifts, when they're not part of what you're walking in, what you're experiencing, that there is a clue to going back to that place where you know them and experience them and walk in them. And that clue is praise. Praise and worship are keys to realizing all his benefits. So you're saying, Scott, that if I praise and worship Jesus, he will gift me all these things you've been describing. Hallelujah! All right, where do I sign up? Sorry. Actually, that's not what I'm saying, and it's not what David is saying exactly. David is saying that praise and worship are a key to not forgetting all of his benefits. Not to getting, but to not forgetting. Praise and worship are powerful testimonies of the goodness of God in our life. The singing of them, the rehearsing of them is just that, a rehearsal of the goodness of God in our life. And that sets us up from moving those things that we're rehearsing, we're reminding ourselves of, like stones of remembrance in the past, to receiving more of them in our present. That's what praise and worship does. It reminds us how God has moved, how God has loved, how God has filled us in the past, met our needs, satisfied us, so that we can have the eyes to see how he's doing it now in our present reality. It moves us literally from the blindness of forgetfulness into seeing yet again the goodness of God. That's what praise does. The praise of the Lord, O my soul. Praise him and forget not all his benefits. Literally, by rehearsing the goodness of God, by telling the stories and testimonies over and over again, we set our hearts in a place to receive them again and again and again. Understand, when we're talking about a love language of gifting, of giving gifts, there always has to be somebody on the other end receiving. That's how it works. I believe that we miss much of what God is gifting to us because we're not looking for it. We've lost our focus. We don't remember what happened in the past. It's like God is celebrating Christmas 24-7, 365, and we've moved on to Memorial Day or Labor Day. 
we're busy remembering something else, giving homage to something else, or we're busy working our, our tails off, but we've forgotten that there's a giver of all good gifts who stands ready to give them all of the time. It's like Christmas all year long for God because he loves to give because that's just part of who he is. But we're caught up in all of our doing and we're missing what he's doing. How do we refocus? How do we not miss? According to David, we do it by praise. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, all of his gifts, all of the love that he shows us on a regular day-to-day, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute basis. If you have the love language of gifts, God is the one who gives the best gifts because his gifts, according to Scripture, are perfect gifts. They're exactly what you need. Lean into that. Lean into that, and you will lack no good thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. You speak my language. I love it. And it's so good to know, Father, that you love to gift us good things. That is your desire for us, to see us fulfilled, completed. And you did that through forgiveness. You did that through all of these ways we just talked about. You, give, you did that through Jesus, who gives us the best gift of all an intimate connection with you. So, Father, we come as grateful people for all that you've gifted us. And, Father, for those of us that are really uh, gift-speaking people, this doesn't just speak loud to us, Father. It screams. And part of what it screams is that uh, we owe you something for that. We want to owe you something for that. All of our love, all of our devotion, all of who we are, give him back to you because you gave us life to begin with. You gave us love to begin with. So we just give it back. We lift up the name of Jesus and we love you, Lord. In his name, amen.